Today I am joined by Jeremy Patzer, the MP for Cypress Hills Grasslands. All right, everyone, welcome back to episode 39 of Conservative Realms. Today we're joined by Jeremy Patzer, the MP for Cypress Hills Grasslands. Thank you for being here, Jeremy. It's great to have you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's always great to, great to talk to fellow like-minded conservatives. Perfect. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I'm the member of parliament for Cypress Hills Grasslands. I was first elected in 2019 here. It's it's a fairly large riding, lots of area that it covers, primarily in, in agriculture and oil and gas riding for sure. So those are the two main economic drivers. So there's uh, obviously a lot of a lot of issues at stake these days with what's going on in government. Yeah, for sure. Well, why did you want to get into politics? Yeah, absolutely. It's a good question. And it, it's, uh, you know, I've got a young family, I've got three kids, and you start to experience how government decisions start to impact what's happening in your day to day life. And just the, the older I got, the more I wanted to be uh, part of the solution, not just be someone who sits back and complains. I got involved with the local electoral district association. I was on the board of directors for about five or six years. And, and, uh, you know, I'd helped the uh, help the incumbent MP for years prior to that as well with, with some campaigning and different things as well. And, uh, you know, naturally, of course, the, the member before was, he did, he was my uncle as well. So it's, okay. there was that family connection as well that mm-hmm. piqued my interest for sure at a young age. I was 13 when he was first elected. So it really got my interest at a young age. But um, yeah, you know, it was about when I was in my, I would say my early 20s when I really started to, to get that that passion for politics more so and just again as you're, as you're starting to, to live life and you know being married young and having kids again you just really experience you know what happens when government makes good decisions when they make bad decisions you really start to experience and feel that impact and that really motivated me to get involved yeah for sure mr patzer who would you consider being your biggest inspiration going into politics yeah, for sure. You know, I just alluded to uh, t- to my uncle. He's definitely a, a big factor in that as well. But, you know, you, you look at a few other people, um, you know, someone like, like P- Prime Minister Harper with how principled that he was on the international stage. You know, there's some people who just re- they really command respect when right. they are in the room and when they're able to stand toe to toe with other leaders of different countries and, and make a stand for the principles and the values that, that make Canada great. It's uh, it was good to see. Uh, the leadership that Prime Minister Harper uh, displayed as well. And, you know, you always got to look to someone like John Diefenbaker as well, obviously, being from Saskatchewan. It's uh, it's always nice to have uh, have a Saskatchewan Prime Minister, but he also had a few, had some really good things that he did as well. And, um, yeah, hopefully we'll see another Prime Minister from Saskatchewan one day. For sure. Uh, the committee you're on, the Natural Resource Committee, what is your role? Can you describe your role on that committee? Yeah, for sure. So I'm, I'm one of four conservative members on the committee. Um, since I joined the committee, we, you know, we finished a forestry study. Uh, we did a study on critical minerals and the, the role that they play in electric vehicles. So around a strategy going forward. Um, that was an interesting one because we saw some, some, some issues with the uh, it's bill C69 that we call it the anti-pipeline bill, but we're starting to see the impacts that it's having on the, on, on the green energy sector as well too you know we're, we're talking about critical minerals such as you know like like lithium and there's quite a few others that are needed for for batteries for electric vehicles we have all the the elements here in in canada but this regulatory framework that exists is preventing uh the development of this critical industry to canada and to the transition going going forward whether you think it's needed or not um the other interesting part of it, the, the, the Kuzma deal that we signed, 
there's a provision in there that for you have three years to source 75% of your lithium regionally uh, tariff-free. Well, because with this Environmental Impact Assessment Act that we have, we heard in, in committee that it's going to take upwards of 10 years to be able to develop any uh, production on these critical minerals to get this industry going in Canada. So we're, we're not, gonna, no. not anywhere as close to being able to meet this three-year window uh, to be tariff-free. Tariff For sure. And like, like you said, the Bill C-69 makes Canada like it just adds more regulation. So uh, Canada is already very regulated and it takes a long time for a project to be done. Like you said, 10 years for that thing. It's just ridiculous. All the, the regulation around it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's more than, like I said, it's, it was, we know it as the no more pipelines bill, but it's, mm -hmm. it's now the, also the no green energy bill as well at the, at the rate we're going here. Mm -hmm. sure. uh, I think uh, definitely is, is the coastal gas link, for example, right? Cause we pre 2020 COVID-19 years, it was, we're gonna the the project's getting done. It's we're laying pipe, and then we, and then we have all these radicals pop up and, and block the train tracks and and hold up Canada's economy. And then we have Justin Trudeau bowing down to them, saying that it's not up to to him to decide what happens to them. It, it's so disappointing too because I we're from the GTA, so we don't really know what it what it's more like out out west. But what what was your rea initial reaction to? that incident as well as others with Justin Trudeau's failure on the, on the pipelines. Yeah. Well, particularly that one, because you saw a lot of indigenous communities who are saying, this is really important for us because it, it, it helps us to achieve self-determination. It's important for reconciliation to be able to have projects like that because it supports resource development for them. And it allows them to be able to, I guess, break the cycle that, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, First Nations people have of, of, of being in poverty because they don't have the economic opportunity. And that project, and you, you also you look at the uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, you know, again, they see that as an opportunity to, to participate in the economy. Uh, the Keystone XL line, that was a huge one. One of the, uh, there's a company called uh, uh, Natural Law Energy. And the, the CEO of that company is, from, is the chief of Nekanit First Nation in my riding. And it was a huge project for them. You know, there were six other First Nations who are part of that group that were trying to get a, an equity stake in the project. And, and they, they had an agreement with uh, TC Energy to do that. And, you know, again, it was a big step towards reconciliation and for self-determination. And that, obviously, with, the, with the, the pipeline being canceled, they're, you know, they've lost that opportunity now. Mm-hmm. It's so disappointing because it's a huge contributor to Canada's economy, and even well, yeah, as you're, as you're saying, was was uh, Keystone XL. Now they they want to go after Line Five. Uh, I mean, based on Trudeau's previous decisions, do you really think that he'll he'll stand up for Line Five? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, my colleague Damian Kirk, he's the MP for Battle River Crowfoot across the uh, the Alberta border. There, he uh, he had an A tip to find out how much correspondence the prime minister's office has had with uh, with our american counterparts and and it came back with zero so I, I don't know how many phone calls he's maybe had that just don't fall underneath that that category but when you're looking for emails and different you know letters and different things like that there's zero um the natural resources minister has said you know repeatedly you know it's non-negotiable and we were doing everything that we can but given the track record, you know, whether you look at the Tech Frontier mine, you look at Keystone XL, but you look at how they handled the Trans Mountain project, right? It's been, we call it death by delay, 
right? They just choose to do nothing and somebody else kills it or, or somebody else finally just backs out of the project because there's been no movement from the government. Then they can just say, oh, not our fault, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not the approach that we need here, especially Line 5 because it's, you know, it's been in service for well, over 50 years now and there's been zero instances underneath the, the Mackinac Straits and it's, it's a huge driver of the economy in southern Ontario and, you know, also for Michigan as well. But this, we're talking about, you know, jet fuel for the Toronto Pearson Airport and also, I think, for the Trudeau Airport in Montreal. Um, you know, you're talking natural gas for people's homes. You're looking at propane. It's it's a big deal. And to see it go, it's, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens on May 12th here when that decision is made. Yeah, yeah that's just a little bit over uh, over a week away. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've been asking them lots of questions in the house on it to see what they're going to do and if they're willing to do anything on it. And yeah, I don't know. Based on their track record, I, I'm not going to hold my breath on it, but, you know, we'll wait and see. I think Enbridge has made the statement that, you know, short of a court ordering them to, to cease production, that they're just going to keep on going. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. For sure. Uh, Mr. Pat, sir, um, want to get your reaction on obviously in the news recently there's been a lot of controversy over bill c10 i want to get your reaction over how concerned are you about you know the internet free speech and stuff like that yeah for sure so at the onset bill c10 was designed to be you know about modernizing the broadcasting act and you know trying to do a little bit more for canadian content so things that sounded good right and It initially had a clause in there that said, you know, it, it gave, I guess, some certainty knowing that there was not going to be any regulatory uh, moves to regulate social media to, to drive against, you know, user-generated content, right? Like if we're putting videos on social media, on YouTube, things like that. The Liberals, with the help of the NDP and the Bloc Québécois, voted on committee to remove that clause from their own bill so if, if you're going to remove the safeguards for that like what what does that say to people like that's it's absolutely yeah. absurd and it's ridiculous and you're going to leave it to the crtc to be the ones who are the regulators of what people can and can't post online right i mean we we're already seeing enough issues of people being censored or being ratioed on on twitter and on facebook and on instagram like it's 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 not good what what this bill could potentially do so i mean we're we're doing everything that we possibly can the the people in the heritage committee the conservatives on there put forward a motion to have another um study done by the justice department to see how it would impact our our charter rights that we have and you know the liberals and the ndp voted against that of course so it's Yeah, it's it's a big deal this one, and it's like you said, it's it's definitely an invasion on people's freedom of expression and freedom of speech, especially with how much of a presence online that we do have here right now. You know, the liberals made the point that you know this is trying to help us with targeting. You know, maybe some uh, disturbing sexual videos have been posted online. Sure. Well, there already are regulations. Yeah, there's already around that. that. Yeah. Exactly, but they're not enforcing them. So let, let's focus on enforcing the laws that we actually already have in place to combat some of these issues that are that are rising up here. And you know, you know, they like to talk about how you know we're this is the liberals are saying this is about you know conservatives siding with the big tech giants. Well, no, it has nothing to do with that. This has to do with the user generated content on Facebook, on Twitter, YouTube. It's, it's the ability for for us to be able to put this publication online. 
and uh, not have it potentially be be censored or, or be deemed as you know not truth and not put online right like that's that's where we're where this is going by removing this and it, it creates a scenario where that can happen for sure and it makes no sense like the, last week the ndp they were talking about you know oh we might support this vote we might not now they said the other day they're not going to support it but then on the, the committee they voted to remove it like it makes no sense they're kind of just all in different directions going all over the place yeah yeah, so, they seem to be all over the map with that kind of stuff. I think the public outcry has really – I think you're starting to see them waver on their positioning on it because of that, and I think it shows how powerful it is when the general public is aware of an issue and then they start to speak out to it. You know, you can start to see, you know, again, how people are, are reacting to issues like C10 when, when the general public reach out and, and by en masse are emailing, are calling to our offices to let us know what's going on and – and I think that the NDP have been feeling the heat on that a little bit, which is good because I think they're starting to think twice about their position on it. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, just hope that this, uh, when the, this bill just won't get passed because <laughs> it'll be, uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be different online social media. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Another, another thing too is while we, well, we've heard, well, well uh, we, we all know how the conservatives will vote on bill as well as the NDP for now. I mean, like there's been no talk from the, from the block end. I mean, the blocks just for themselves in reality, they're just Quebec first. They don't care about the rest of Canada. So in reality, you never know how the block will vote. It's only how they will, how it will benefit their party. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, like when Beals, when Bill, Bill C-10 was like initially like presented, like what was your initial reaction to it? Like just out, just right out committee. What was your initial reaction? Well, right. When it, when it came out of committee with this change to it, it was just like, well, here we go again. More, more liberals trying to take the big brother approach to everything. Right. I mean, we we're calling it an Orwellian measure in, you know, with the book 1984. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, and really that's what, it, what it really boils down to it. And it, you hear the heritage minister say repeatedly in the house of commons, well, this is, this is fake news. What the conservatives are saying. Well, <laughs> no, it's not. It's right here. Right. Like it's right here in what they've taken out of the bill. Like it's, 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 it's plain as day. And mm -hmm. then you start to you know, see people as, as prominent as Michael Geist coming out and saying, like, look, this is terrible what this could, could mean and what it could do. And there, there are several other groups who are saying the same thing. And, uh, yeah, it, it's not just a few people. It's, it's, a, it's a huge group of, of the general public, but also, yeah, with, with people who are working specifically on broadcasting, on copyright, who are experts in this field. They're saying this is terrible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think, you know, again, we need to listen to the – to those experts and you know again listen to what the general public wants as elected officials that's our job is to listen to what the what the people want sure. and that's what they're what they're saying is and nobody's too certain i have had one person write me and say well this is a great bill you should support this no <laughs> everybody's saying this is terrible you mm -hmm. need to oppose this do everything you can to oppose it mm -hmm. yeah, i think yeah even the the round of questioning by mp harder yesterday he, he went out of his way he, he attacked her for being pro pro-life and i wonder if this bill ever does pass i wonder if the images of him in an orange jumpsuit being charged will uh will be regulated off the internet well that that's just it right it, it's you look at his own his own history, his own track record, right? Like it's yeah, is he going to conveniently get rid of that? Are we going to conveniently see, you know, some of the allegations against the prime minister or against some of his other ministers with their mm -hmm. ethics violations? Are those kind of things going to just slowly disappear as well too? Mm -hmm. Like it's again, where does this lead? What's what's the slippery slope here? Like it's, yep. it's like even, like it's even for example, we have like uh, we'll have like Aaron go up. He'll he'll uh, he'll oppose the budget. Well, I'll get that could just get regulated in a, the heartbeat of a second, right? 
just yeah. poof right out of it right out of existence and it doesn't surprise me coming from justin trudeau who wants to implement this at all it, it doesn't surprise me with his track record yeah, no, exactly. And it's, you know, I, I think, too, when you look at the, the close ties that the heritage minister and the prime minister have as well, too, the, mm-hmm. you got to think the prime minister has had a big hand at the positioning of this bill as well, too. For sure. Oh, he definitely has, yeah. Yeah. Even, like, um, I, the heritage minister was doing an interview with the CBC the other day. The CBC was asking to the fair to him. He was asking tough questions about it, and he couldn't answer them. Like, and they, they literally asked, like, the the CBC interviewer guy, he's like, you know, why did you remove a clause that you introduced yourself on it? And he couldn't answer. Like, yeah. and it makes no sense. Like, you literally, they added a clause to the bill saying that, okay, we'll protect, you know, we'll make sure that there's no regulation, which is good. You know, we obviously don't want, like, I think Bill C-10 itself is not necessarily the worst bill because it, you know, makes sure it promotes the Canadian content. It's just when you remove that clause, that's where the issues come in, the regulation and all that. So on, like I said, on that CBC interview, he couldn't defend it because it makes no sense for him to remove a clause that they introduced. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and like you said too, the, the point of the bill and when they first released the bill back in November, you know, we were looking at the bill. Okay, well, I mean, there's they're trying to modernize the Broadcasting Act. They're looking at a few things like Canadian content. You know, there's some some, uh, some mention of, of trying to get some more Indigenous language incorporated yeah. into the Canadian broadcasting system. Which, you know, those are those are all positive things. And but when when you when you make a move like they did here, <laughs> you know, it, it's. They, they've taken something that was, you know, we could, we could work with a bill like this, you know, we could make amendments, we could make some tweaks, you know, and, sure. and really make a good piece of legislation out of it. But when they do what they did to it now, and, and they've also committed in, in committee that they're going to be looking to uh, pr- uh, put forward an amendment to regulate apps, like, not only did they remove one clause, but now they're doubling down on this, this uh, paternalistic big brother approach, that, you know, that they're, they're well known for. Mm-hmm. Anything that they uh, don't like online, they'll uh, just put it down. Anytime the uh, person will attack the government, they'll just put it down if this bill passed, basically. Yeah. Like another, like this is almost like an exact rep- representation of the United States with with Donald Trump, for example. Like he's uh, he's he's off the major platforms: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, you name it. You and as well as the other major ones. It's exactly the same point because what well, Florida's going to do you now, like they're going after big tech. They're $250,000 a day fine for people that, that block like a profile, like a high profile politician, for example. I mean, just the taking that clause out is a huge controversy. Could you imagine if, if Andrew Shearer or Stephen Harper did that, if they took that clause out? Yeah, we, we know what the, the outcry would be mm-hmm. from, you know, you know the media what the liberals would even be saying they'd be trying to hammer us over the exact same kind of thing right so it's it would be it'd be really interesting just to do the compare and contrast to it yeah it's 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 absolutely ridiculous and even the media though we're starting to see some of the media are speaking out against this as well too because they see it for what it is Mm -hmm. and and i think that when you when you go back was it in december i think it was when when the heritage minister said they were going to require media to be licensed in canada and that was on a Friday. And then by Monday, when they got hammered on it over the weekend, by Monday, they're like, oh, no, that's not what we said. We didn't say we were going to require a license. So they were completely backtracked on it. Well, 
what is it? What are you going to do? Right. So then now you see things like this. And then after making a statement like that, you know, they got they got a hidden agenda going on here. And, you know, it needs to be made plain for, for Canadians to see. And, you know, that's what we're, we're, we're trying to expose with things like this here. Yeah, I, I do find it quite rich coming from a from a climate radical and a drama teacher in the, in the positions of leadership. <laughs> just to be honest i'm shocked uh that they haven't backtracked on this already because there's been you know so much public outcry i'm shocked yeah. they have a biggest they backtrack on other things but this one they, they've 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 stood firm on it which obviously is a bad thing but yeah i mean it's, it's yeah. another issue that, that you that you brought up earlier is that there's an issue facing constituents in your writing as well like what are some of the, some of the biggest issues facing your constituents such because you're in a in a rural riding right yeah, you know, there's a lot of lot of big open spaces in in this riding here, right? So I mean, I grew up on on a farm. We were right down on the American border, and so we were a 15 minute drive into into town to just you know to go to school or to go get groceries, things like that. It's just a small town, 300 people. Um, but if you need to go to the main center, Swift Current was the closest community, and I mean that's where I live now. But that was a two hour drive to get into Swift Current, and then if you needed to, and you know even looking for for parts for our for our combine, for our tractors, different things like that. Quite often, even Swift Current didn't have the parts. So you're driving Saskatoon, you're driving to Regina, you're going four or five hours one way, just to go get parts and things like that. So I I think that. You know, when you look at a lot of some of these things like, like carbon taxes and different things like that and the impact that they do have on on rural Canadians and, and the the just how punitive and punishing it is to people who live in, in rural communities and for our farmers and it's those those are some of the big things that are just just not okay. And you, and you look at the energy producers, you talk to those guys as well too, and they say the same thing that the carbon tax is such a huge issue for them as well too. You know. Farmers, by and large, and our and our ranchers, I, I always say this: they're they're the they're the true environmentalists. They're the ones who are actually looking after the soil. They're looking after, you know, our, our food security. If by they have to take care of the land, and the land in return takes care takes care of them, takes care of us, right? Mm-hmm. So they they've made adjustments on their own over the years. You know, I look at our family farm. And, you know, how we changed from, you know, some of the practices, whether it be our crop rotations or just choosing to not cultivate as much uh, and, and choosing different methods and that in and of itself. So you're not running your equipment as much, but you're also not working the ground as much. So you have a better quality soil, which means better quality crops that you're growing. You get higher yields, better quality. And it also means that you're, you're having a better impact on the uh, on the environment, on the air around you as well. So sure. those kind of things have just happened naturally in the farming community. You know, you look at our ranchers. Actually, t- today, the Canadian Cattlemen's Association, they're doing another public release of a documentary called Guardians of the Grasslands. And, you know, it's a really important documentary because it talks about the interaction between livestock and the grasslands and, and, the, and the positive impact that it has on the environment and, and just for... Uh, just just for our well-being in general by having them grazing and out on the grasslands instead of just having a complete hands-off approach there there has to be that interaction between between animals and the the grasslands that's just the way it naturally works better it's also better for our species at risk so when we look at the environmental picture as a whole boy our our rural population our farmers our ranchers they, they, they get it that's just part of who we are and we don't need punitive measures from governments like carbon taxes and, and some of these these crazy over-the-top environmental policies we don't need them because we've already made a lot of these changes and, and we've turned the, the prairies 
you know, our farming practices have made, made farmland a carbon sink in and of itself when, when you compare the usage versus the sequestering rates of it. Mm-hmm. And you compare the studies to from, from the prairies to other jurisdictions, even in Canada, where they didn't adopt those practices early. There's a big difference in, in, uh, in, in the environmental effects. So, and, but again, that just happened naturally, not because the government said to, but because farmers and ranchers have realized the benefit and the potential of doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for example, out here, like when Doug Ford took over as premier in 2018, like or like the, he lowered the gas price. Like they went down probably down to, I don't know, say 89 to 98 cents per liter. And, and now, pre now with the the first carbon tax, that one probably back up to 110. I mean, overnight here in Ontario, you probably get an average of 111 a night. And, and just even driving out like last night, for example, it's it's up a buck twenty two because of this ne- this new second carbon tax they want to put in. Like this new carbon tax he wants to put, in, it's going to affect the price of groceries, gas, heating your home. Like it, it, it go just going after this. Like it, it's so disappointing that the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the carbon tax as well. And I and I find it so shameful too because some of the justices were from out from out west as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there was a really good dissenting report done on it as well. You know, the name of the justice is, is eluding me at the moment here, but there was a really well-written and well-thought-out dissenting report that I, I do think everybody needs to read. Mm-hmm. And, and it just provides, you know, better context in, into what the situation here actually is. You know, as we as we go over the last year and a half here, we're looking at the people who have been impacted, you know, by, by the pandemic, by costs of groceries, by costs of living, you know, going up over this time. Um, you know, we, we look at our seniors on fixed income. You know, we look at people who are living in low-income housing. We look at there's a lot of vulnerable population that it's not taken into consideration when they're jacking up these prices like this. And when you go to the clean fuel standard the, the, that the Liberals are putting out here, the, the regulations that are published in the Gazette say it'll disproportionately impact lower and middle-income Canadians, seniors living on a fixed income, and in particular, and, and this is crazy because the natural resources minister is from Newfoundland, but it, it particularly is going to have an, an unproportionately or disproportionate impact on people living in Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just absolutely ridiculous. It's completely mm-hmm. bonkers the way that they they're going about this. And then, then we get then we get the malarkey from Trudeau that we're that we're going to get money back from it. Yeah. Yeah, it's been shown that it's it's not doesn't work the way that they're they're saying that it is. Like, it's, sure. it's absolutely crazy, especially if you're a business that that is paying taxes on and it's going into there. And you know, they say that there's you know ten percent is saved for businesses, for schools, for libraries, and all this and that. But yeah, the amount paid in by those same groups and organizations doesn't doesn't match up to what the rebates would be. For sure, uh, Mr. Patzer, what would you say is are some issues that the Conservative Party should focus on in the upcoming federal? Well, as far as the upcoming election, I do think that, you know, again, C-10 is is a big one for sure, right? You know, we've t- touched on that at length here already. Um, so that that's one for sure. I, I think the firearms stuff is another another big deal. You know, that was a, a big part of what, what got the Harper government elected as well, too, was, was uh, the, the difference in positioning on, on gun violence and gun crime and, and just, you know, again, the gun registry as well. You look at the massive cost overruns versus what it actually delivered. Um, you know, the legislation that the, the Liberals are trying to go after here about banning a bunch of firearms through order and council and, and uh, you know, reducing and getting rid of mandatory minimums on, on gun crime, it's completely shameful. It, it completely is against 
the recommendations of people who are saying like, look, you got to go after the illegal guns. You got to go after gun smuggling. It doesn't do anything to address the issues of gangs and, and, and people who are at risk of falling into the, into gangs. Right. So let, let's, any strategy needs to be focused on that. So I think the firearms issue is another one for sure that we can focus on and that will definitely uh, help us as well. Yeah, the, the, and I'd say that another one, I mean, there's many, but another one too that, that's prominent in the media right now is, is the sexual misconduct or sorry, the sexual, uh, harassment issue with with the military and just just the overall environment that's that's there um i I think there's a lot of a lot that we could we can gain from from that but but just again by making a a strong principled stance that that conservatives do i think there's a good good opportunity for us there to uh to use that for sure and like the the, you were talking about the the guns for a bit there like i'm just introducing you know banning all all guns you know that's not going to solve the issue right like hunters well, I'm not, you know, I'm not the biggest supporter of guns, you know, I, I don't like them just because of the, when you look at the states and stuff, but I don't think, you know, attacking someone for hunting or whatever, I don't think that's going to, that's obviously not going to solve the issues because they're not the ones committing the crimes. It's the people that bought the illegal guns that are in the gangs, all that, the, that are causing the issues, but he's done nothing. He takes the easy way, easy way out and just bans, you know, creates a gun, a bill that bans everything, right? It's, it's just the easy way that and we've seen it in other things too with like like uh, environmental issues like he creates the carbon tax because a tax is easier to do than actually, you know, come up with a proposal for legislation to actually fix the issue, but he comes up with a tax. So it just takes the easy way out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing with firearms that everybody needs to understand and needs to know is Firearms owners, legal firearms owners, are, are the most highly vetted citizens in Canada because every every day there's a, there's an automated check that goes through. So it's again we're we're the most like I said we're the highest we're the most vetted citizens that there are. So it's not our legal owners that are the problem. And no. you know it, you know obviously it was a massive tragedy. But you look at the guy for the Porta Peak shooter in, in Nova Scotia there, and, and that whole whole tragedy. Every single firearm that that guy had was obtained illegally mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. so yeah. you know banning guns again it, it looks good it sounds good but it doesn't actually address the problem right and and by doing so you're turning thousands hundreds of that well tens of thousands of, of law-abiding firearms owners into criminals overnight just by simply making a, a an order in council that, by doing what they did and it again it just shows that there was no thought process behind it you know if, if it if it looks scary then they were going to ban it right you know that's why you're seeing airsoft guns and paintball guns wrapped up in this that have no impact at all yeah right? those, it gets, those don't cause those are kind of just the weapons for the you know fun activities or obviously you know they are uh damage that kind of be associated with those guns but they are mainly used for fun activities yeah, yeah, they're just recreation, right? You know, I mean, I, as a as a youth, I played paintball, you know, a couple times a year. To, you know, it's a it's a fun thing to go and do. You have some fun with 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 your friends, but you know, we need to take a serious approach to you know to crime, and that's something sure. that conservatives have a strong track record on. And the liberals typically seem to be on the side of of, of the criminal, not the victim, right? Whether it's yeah. it's getting rid of mandatory minimums, reducing sentencing times, you know, <laughs> the list goes on. The list goes on, absolutely. Uh, yeah, definitely coming back to that as well. Trudeau sending the the one girl I hit kids with hammers on the heads. He will send her to a healing lodge instead of a prison cell, and then he lets Omar Catter walk free with ten million dollars of taxpayer money. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. It's just completely out of touch with 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 Canadians, and and you know, again, when you're convicted of something, right? You know, the the penalties are there for a reason. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, one of the one of the last things we're going to touch on is definitely uh, the gun violence. Like the Nova Scotia tragedy, like he took advantage of that. There's there's no question he took advantage of what happened and put in his own his own agenda in that way. Would Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's. You know, again, just because when you when you go through the, the list of, of firearms that were were banned, I mean, there there's so many things in there that we we even heard from from museums and groups that use cannons for, uh, you know, just for for theatrics and for you know you know redoing like the War of eighteen twelve, just different kind of things that they do. Mm-hmm. They, they now cannot use a a, a, a cannon because it's been banned under this order in council, right? Like it's, it, it's extremely arbitrary, extremely punitive. There's no thought process to it. And, and yeah, it's not actually tackling the problem. You look at the crime, you know, you guys alluded to, you're from the GTA, the, the, the overwhelming majority of crime that is committed is with illegally obtained handguns mm-hmm. that have been smuggled in from the U S right. That's what the crime is. The crime isn't happening from, from a law abiding firearms owner, you know, with a hunting rifle that he, that they use for for hunting, it's that's not what's being used for crime. It's mm-hmm. it's these it's these handguns that are being used that are illegally obtained. And and again, even even the legal handgun owners, again, they're heavily vetted. They they are they're checked on a regular basis. There is a a strong regulatory system in place around around people who own handguns. And what 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 do they who do they choose to go after? They go after the law abiding gun owners, and mm-hmm. they don't address the real problem. For sure, I think just as the uh, our last question here, going into the next election, where do you think we should Aaron should focus like his managers? The GTA, BC, the Maritimes. Where where do you think? Obviously, every single seat, but and like area specific like that, you see your or your right or your constituency. Yeah, so I, I look at. You know, obviously the Maritimes would be a good place to, to start. You know, I can't tell you how many times, you know, living in Western Canada, you watch election night and all of a sudden, you you know, we'll, we'll use the 2015 election, for example. It was just all red mm-hmm. coming yeah. across, right? It's just like, oh, like, you know, there's a lot of people who are just frustrated and just, you know, why bother voting? Because, you know, the polling hadn't even made it through Quebec yet and they're already calling for a liberal majority government, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that does have a big impact on... How are people going to vote, or are, will people even bother to go vote in BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan? Right. So I think there is something to be said about having that strong momentum coming from Atlantic Canada. Um, you know, obviously the GTA is a vote-rich region of the country. There's a you know there's a ton of seats there. I think there's a lot of accessible seats there as well too. Um, so yeah, you know I do think that those would be the two regions to definitely focus on uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, uh, well, for sure, I'd like to, to thank you for all your time today, Mr. Patcher, and hope that we could uh, do this again. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for this, guys. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Keep up the good work. And uh, we, I'd be happy to chat again. For sure. Yeah, for thank sure. You. Thanks, Mr. Patcher. Have a great day. Yeah, you guys as well. Bye. And that was Jeremy Patcher, the MP for Cypress Hills Grasslands. Make sure to tune in on the next episode of Conservative Roundup. Thank you.